0: Maybe 30 or 20 years ago, a Saudi might have said, I'm Muslim and I'm Arab and I'm Saudi. Now they might say, I'm Saudi and I'm Arab and I'm Muslim.
1: You know, they're trying to radically refashion their country and they need help from the best experts in the
2: world. Do you want to have your country's people be disqualified from that because of some essentially antiquated point of view about how countries work together? In recent months, it can feel like Saudi Arabia is intent on buying the world. It's bought up much of golf, sports teams, many of the globe's best soccer players to its own domestic league, and it owns huge chunks of many of the biggest companies on the planet. But Saudi Arabia is not just on a shopping spree, the once insular, oil-rich kingdom is transforming into a major diplomatic and military player, a pivotal actor in the energy transition and looks set to host high-end cultural events like the FIFA World Cup. You know, they know that buying a football club immediately brings you a billboard into a global game that allows you to completely reposition yourself or rebrand yourself. It feels like we're entering the era of the Saudi Project. But what exactly is the kingdom trying to achieve and will it succeed? Coming soon from Intelligence Squared, the Saudi Project is a new podcast series seeking to answer some of these questions and more.
3: Britain does have choices. It's not either-or situation. We either indulge Mohammed bin Salman or boycott Mohammed bin Salman. There is a third choice.
2: Search The Saudi Project wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Connor Boyle here. Just a reminder, you can take your Intelligence Squared experience deeper with Intelligence Squared Premium. You'll get an ad-free feed, one early episode per week, two bonus episodes per month, discounts on Intelligence Squared Plus, priority access to our live in-person events, and access to our premium monthly newsletter. Sign up at iq2premium.supercast.com. Thanks for all your support. Welcome to Intelligence Squared, I'm Connor Boyle. For the Sunday debate this week, we're looking back into the Archive to 2018, when we invited leading experts to discuss one of the most contentious issues in the Middle East, which city the world should recognise as the capital of Israel. British Prime Minister Liz Truss recently surprised some observers at the UN General Assembly in New York by saying there could potentially be a review of the current location of the British embassy in Israel. It's currently in Tel Aviv. If Truss were to follow Donald Trump's lead in 2018 of recognising Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, the UK's embassy could be on the move. In 2018, we debated Donald Trump's intervention, the location of Israel's capital and the contentious arguments that have long surrounded the issue. Let's hear more from our chair, the former host of BBC's flagship Newsnight programme and current co-presenter of the Newsagents podcast, Emily Maitlis.
0: Thank you very much. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight we are here to debate something as contemporary as it is contentious. The motion before us boldly states the world should recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital it promises to be a pretty intense 90 minutes moving the united states embassy to israel in israel to jerusalem as donald trump did a month ago constitutes a momentous show of support and friendship to Israel. It grants Israel that same legitimacy to establish its own capital that is taken as a given by every other country in the world. It is also a reckless move, a move that pushes peace further away than ever, a reality underscored, when Israeli forces killed dozens of protesting Palestinians in Gaza as that embassy ceremony was underway just 50 miles away. Other countries, in accordance with the UN recognition of Jerusalem as a corpus separatum, in other words, a separate body, placed their embassies in Tel Aviv. So should that now change? Or is it the worst kind of opportunist short-term meddling, the cost of which may well turn out to be enormous. This debate invites huge questions about so much Middle East policy, but tonight we want to stick as far as we can to the motion itself. This is not just about Trump. This is not just about America. It's about whether the world should recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Our first speaker then for the motion is Natasha Hausdorff. She's a barrister at six pump court chambers and a director of the NGO UK Lawyers for Israel. She previously clerked for the president of the Israeli Supreme Court in Jerusalem. Her family ties to Jerusalem date back to 1846. Natasha, the floor is yours.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Thank you, Emily and the team At Intelligence Squared, it is a pleasure to be here. And yet, I'm also puzzled as to why it is that we must, in fact, all gather here on a Monday evening to discuss what must be self-evident, that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Why is this even a question, should the world recognise Jerusalem Why? Well, um, I suppose similarly, for millennia, the world did not recognize that the earth was round. There is at the uh, heart of controversy over recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital a series of myths. And before anything, I want to take this opportunity to debunk those myths. In particular, the myth of occupation. Because the framework of the law of occupation applies where a sovereign is ousted from its territory. Now, there is no state of Palestine. There never was a state of Palestine. There may one day be such a state, but that depends on negotiations and factors which we simply don't have at the time to be able to address properly this evening. Absent any sovereign from which land could have been occupied, the notion of occupation in a legal sense simply does not have a leg to stand on. And the term occupation used in this context is purely a political term. Issues over territory go to the heart of the matter and date back to the very establishment of the State of Israel in 1948. Israel was born out of the previous uh, British mandate of a geographical area called Palestine. Now, when a state emerges out of a pre-existing colonial entity, there is a principle, a fundamental principle of international law, that applies to determine and regulate the delineation of that new state's territory. That principle is called uti posidetis juris*. And it dictates that the new state inherits the boundaries of the pre-existing colonial entity. It's been applied uh, to the emergence of states in South America. It's been applied and governed the dissolution of the former Yugoslavia. And it's been consistently applied in Asia and in Africa. After Israel's War of Independence, when partition was rejected by the Arabs and in which it was set upon by five Arab armies seeking to annihilate it, the only new sovereign entity to emerge from the previous existing British mandate was Israel. And so the application of this fundamental principle of international law dictates that Israel inherits the pre-existing boundaries um, of the British mandate that preceded it. And... Indeed, Israel's peace treaties with its neighboring states to date, with Egypt and with Jordan, reinforce this reading because uh, those treaties ratify borders between Israel and its neighbors explicitly based on those pre-existing boundaries of the British mandate. That is the legal situation. Which leads me to the next myth, illegality. People will tell you that this, that, and the other in respect of Israel is illegal because they have nothing else to say. In international law, the boundaries of Israel, Jerusalem as its capital, and Israel's current administration of the disputed territories which it acquired in defensive wars is categorically legal. Not only was there never a state of Palestine, but contrary to an increasingly circulated misrepresentation, until relatively recently, there was no such thing as Palestinian Arab national identity. My grandparents were Palestinians, Jewish Palestinians, designated as such by the British because they were living in British Mandate Palestine. In fact, my family was living in Jerusalem well over 100 years, before Yasser Arafat, who was born in Egypt, invented the concept of exclusive Palestinian Arab national identity in the 1960s. Okay, myths debunked. Let's talk about the city which has been the epicenter of Jewish prayer and identity for the last 3,000 years. The capital of the only Jewish state. It's worth noting that there are 22 Arab states, 22 Arab capitals... One of them is in Jordan, where Arabs from Mandate Palestine form the majority of the population. But Jerusalem is special. Jerusalem is unique. It does, after all, host the places, the holy places, of the Abrahamic religions. Let's look around the region for a moment, at the Banyan Valley or Palmyra, blown up by ISIS, at sites in Alexandria, destroyed by the Muslim Brotherhood, And at Gaza, more recently, where Hamas bulldozed an ancient Canaanite, four-and-a-half-thousand-year-old Bronze Age city known as Tel-Es-Sakan. Sites of religious and cultural heritage are only safe in the one democracy in the region. Now, Israel has, of its own volition, um, given authority to the Jordanian waqf over the Temple Mount, the Waqf abused that authority by destroying archaeology and allowing terrorist activity. Israel guarantees freedom of religion in perpetuity in all sites. The one exception is that Jews are prohibited from praying on the Temple Mount, a concession the Israeli authority has made in the name of peaceful coexistence. Now let's get to the real positive note in all of this, which is that recognition of the actuality, Israel is never going to relinquish Jerusalem is the most positive step that we can make towards peace. Any real peace can never be based on fabrications or falsehoods. And any negotiations that start from a position of fantasy do not have a hope of success. The proof of this is that in 70 years, we have not achieved the peace that we yearn for. So let us take a reality check, and I promise you that any Palestinian leader who genuinely seeks to negotiate a solution will be enormously advantaged by the fact that the world accepts reality. The violent riots and terror attacks committed by the genocidal terrorist regime Hamas attempting to breach the border fence into Israel in the last few months is not in response to the recognition of Jerusalem. It's an objection to Israel's very existence. The embassy move is just an excuse. But even if for one moment... You thought that they were resultant from that move, from recognition of Israel's capital. Shame on the notion that threats and violence ought to make right-thinking people like us, ought to prevent us from doing the right thing, ever. We don't have to go back to the fact that Jerusalem was the capital of the Jewish people 3,000 years ago, or to, to that every year Jews in the diaspora say next year in Jerusalem, or the fact that at every Jewish wedding the groom utters the immortal words, if I forget you O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. All we need is to extend to Israel the same courtesy that we extend to every single country in the world. Every country has the right to choose its capital and that choice is respected by the international community. I mentioned at the start that for millennia the world did not recognize that the earth was round. I kid you not this still exists. Google the flat earth society. There are people that still believe that the world is flat. There are people who don't recognize that Jerusalem is the capital of the state of Israel. Don't let that be you, ladies and gentlemen.
0: A provocative opening there, Natasha, thank you very much. Garda Kami is our first speaker against the motion. She's a leading Palestinian activist, academic, and writer. She's a research fellow at the Institute of Arab and Islamic Studies at the University of Exeter. And she's the author of Return, a Palestinian Memoir, born in Jerusalem. Garda, you have 10 minutes, welcome.
5: Thank you very much. Well, all I can say to you is after that, if you believe that, you'll believe anything. Um, uh, I, can't, I don't have the time to go into refuting every single of these old chestnuts that Natasha has produced, which I thought had actually died, but they're still being reiterated by defenders of Israel, I'm sorry to say. Anyway. Uh, The short answer to the proposition that the world should recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital is a resounding no. It should not, the world should not recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Because to do so would mean that the world was recognizing illegal occupation, land theft, expulsion of the native population and discrimination against those of the natives who remain in Jerusalem, it is to recognize illegal settlement building, to recognize, in short, serial violations of Palestinian human rights and international law. Okay, let's have a few facts. The... Situation which may surprise some of you is this: Israel has no legal title to either West or East Jerusalem. The reality is that, uh, as Natasha mentioned, the status of Jerusalem was decided, by a U.N resolution in 1947, that it would be administered under international jurisdiction. Israel, however, uh, um, uh, took over West Jerusalem and started to behave as if it were preparing for, for that to become its capital city. But Israel has no legal title to West Jerusalem. Its presence in Jerusalem is a de facto presence. In other words, it's recognized as a reality, but not in law, not by rights. And that is why the majority of nations do not have their embassies in West Jerusalem. Now, the, in East Jerusalem is under belligerent occupation since 1967. And the fact that Israel annexed East Jerusalem is also illegal. Now, President Trump's decision to... Um, go ahead and recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, despite all this, uh, in itself, quite apart from what you may think about the wisdom of such a move, actually confers no legality on Israel with regard to Jerusalem. So it doesn't actually make any difference to the legal position. But you know, this is a man who sent his daughter to celebrate, as you heard Emily say, to celebrate, drink champagne with Israel's leaders while Israeli snipers were shooting dead 120 Palestinian men, women, and children. Is this a model the world wants to follow? I don't think so. Now, I have to confess that the proposition has a very special significance for me. I was born in Jerusalem before there was an Israel. It is my native city. We were driven out in 1948 to make room for the creation of Israel in my homeland. My family house is still in Jerusalem, in West Jerusalem. Successive Israeli families and individuals have occupied it, but it is our family home. Since 1948, I have had to witness Israel's repeated assault on Jerusalem's territory, its topography, its history. And all the time, Israel stressing to the world that Jews have an emotional and religious attachment to the city. You heard just now the hackneyed phrase, the capital of the Jewish people. I don't know what that means. A capital is normally the capital of a country. It's not the capital of a people. However, you hear this all the time, and it's all it is is throwing dust in the eyes, however attached you are to some place or other, it does not mean you can seize it and own it. That is a fundamental law of the international order. Otherwise, where would we all be? You know, I'm often having to use an example I'm I'm going to give you. It sounds absurd, but in a way, it's quite parallel. You see, supposing I told you that I have, and my family has, a very strong attachment to Buckingham Palace and that I have documents, documents which show that my ancestors preceded the Queen of England. Really, do you think that would give me the right to throw the Queen out and take her place? I don't think so. So the question of recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital, really what it does amount to in the end is going along with the brazen attempt on the part of Israel again and again to pull the wool over people's eyes, to hold on to what it isn't Israel's to keep. That's what this is all about. And I don't think, looking at this audience, you're going to fall for that. You're not going to fall for that, which is why I urge you to oppose the proposition and vote against it. Thank you.
0: Garda, thank you. Garda Kami there, speaking of land theft, uh, discrimination and illegal settlement. You have a couple of minutes uh, left on the clock. If there's anything more that you want to add, Garda?
5: That's the first time that's ever happened to
0: me. (laughs) 120 (laughs) is double the number that is recognized as the killings in Gaza. No,
5: I'm afraid not. 120 in one day. You can check that with whatever source you want. 120 in one day. Yes, in one
0: day. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. We can come back to that. We can come back to that. I was just allowing you to um, pick up with that. Check it, right? But
5: listen, even if it was twenty, you think it would be all right?
0: You think? (laughs) Okay. I'm going to introduce our second speaker for the motion: the world should recognise Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Ehud Olmert. The Prime Minister of the State of Israel from 2006 to 2009. He worked towards, <laughs> give us a chance, he worked towards a peace agreement with the Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas, which he believes they were very close to concluding. He also served as Mayor of Jerusalem from 1993 to 2003. Ehud that, you have the floor for 10 minutes. Welcome. <laughs>
6: Thank you very much. I entirely subscribe to the fundamental principle of what Natasha said before about the centrality of Jerusalem as the capital of the state of Israel and as the center part of Jewish history. But first and foremost, as the capital of the state of Israel. Secondly, I'm uh, forced to say that the numbers that you have spelled out Uh, uh, Mrs. Kami, are entirely false. There were 62 victims in Gaza. Terrible. I am sad for each and every one of them. But the problem of this debate that we hold all the time is that you can't stick to the facts. You have to exaggerate in order to try and dramatize it because your arguments are not strong enough it was said by emily that i was prime minister of the state of israel and negotiated with the president of the palestinian authority and we were that close to reach an agreement had a palestinian leader said yes to what i proposed and this is what i propose what i proposed then and i propose now which can solve this issue in a just and correct manner For everyone involved, what I proposed was that Jerusalem will be the capital of the state of Israel. There is no question about it. It is and it should be. But, Jerusalem. Not Beit Hanina, and not Isawiya, and not Shoafat, and not the refugee came in Shoafat, and not Jabal Mukaba, and all the villages which are now considered to be part of the municipality of Jerusalem. And Which I tried very much to take care of when I was mayor of Jerusalem and build and improve the quality of life much more than any of the Palestinians living under the uh, the uh, tyranny of the Hamas in Gaza But all of these villages are not part of the history of Jerusalem as far as we as Jews and Israelis are concerned therefore my idea It's very simple. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. All the Arab neighborhoods which surround the city of Jerusalem are not. As far as I'm concerned, they can be the capital of the Palestinians. No problem. Take it. No, take it. I proposed it. Now, I'm not talking theoretically. I'm not talking hypothetically. I negotiated with the Palestinian representative, the only person amongst the Palestinians, perhaps the only person in any Arab community in the world which was elected democratically. Mahmoud Abbas, a decent partner to negotiations. I proposed to him that all the Arab neighborhoods around Jerusalem Will be part of the Palestinian state. I am in favor of a two state solution, absolutely. And that all these villages will be the capital of the Palestinian state. Jerusalem, with the neighborhoods that were built after 67, will be the state of Israel. Unless someone wants to say it's not the issue of Jerusalem and you could hear it and I hope that my friend Mrs. Straw will not subscribe to this ridiculous position that really what lies behind it is not East and West Jerusalem is not supposed to be capital of Israel. Israel is not supposed to exist as a Jewish state in the first place and that lies behind it because I can understand that you can say I am against having Abudis as part of the capital of Israel, I don't disagree. But to say that Israel has no right to have its capital in Jerusalem in any part of Jerusalem, this is basically to say that we are not in favor of having Israel altogether. And this was the official position of all the Arab countries during 1947, and that's, they rejected the 47 resolution of the United Nations, not Israel. The parts which are today are within the municipal framework of Jerusalem and which are not part of Jewish history, should be part of the Palestinian state that ought to be created, and that they will become the capital of the Palestinian state, according more or less to the lines of 1967. Now, I proposed it on behalf of the State of Israel, again, and I never got a positive answer from the Palestinians. So, with all due respect, don't try to distort the basic facts We are prepared to recognize the position, the status of the Palestinians. First of all, we are prepared and it could have been resolved. And if you will ask the president of the Palestinian Authority, Dr. Mahmoud Abbas, he will confirm it because he did confirm it time and again publicly since we negotiated that this was proposed by me. He never said no. I have to be honest to him. Never said no, but he never said yes. Which could have resolved this historical conflict on a basis which is entirely acceptable to the international community. Now you guys want to argue with Trump? Maybe I also, but who cares? I'm talking about the fundamental fact that Jerusalem has been was, is and will be the capital of the state of Israel and that all the surroundings of Jerusalem which are inhabited by Palestinians and which are considered to be Jerusalem by the Palestinians should be the capital of the Palestinian state which will be created on the day that the Palestinians will say yes to my proposal. Thank you very much.
0: Ehud Olmert, the former Prime Minister of the State of Israel, on why that deal never got through in favour of a two-state solution.
2: Hi everyone, it's Connor Boyle here. If you don't already know, we've launched Intelligence Squared Premium. It's an exciting new way to take your Intelligence Squared experience to the next level so you can make the most informed decisions about the issues that matter in the company of the world's greatest minds and speakers. Crucially, it lets us produce even more amazing podcasts for you as well as running some more live events and big debates. This is now available on all podcast players, including Spotify, for just $4.99 a month. Sign up now at iq2premium.supercast.com. That's IQ, the numeral two, premium.supercast.com or see the link in the description. Thank you for all your support. of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool and I love the dance piece Sutra inspired by the skills of what is Shaolin Monks and we've got a special treat for our listeners Marquee TV offers 3 months of access for just 99 cents. That's right 3 months for only 99 cents with the code SQUARED simply visit Marquee.tv and use the promo code SQUARED to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. Did you know electric vehicles put more strain on your tires because EVs are heavy and have more torque? At Discount Tire, we'd love to help match you with the perfect tire for your electric vehicle because we LV your EV. Buy and book online at DiscountTire.com
0: Our last speaker then, our second speaker against the motion, is Jack Straw. Cabinet Minister in the governments of Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. He served as Foreign Secretary, Home Secretary, Leader of the Commons and Justice Secretary. Jack Straw, welcome. You have ten minutes.
7: Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you very much. I want to begin this debate, sort of left field, but it's very important that I do, to say something I never thought that I would have to say But I've been so appalled by some of of the recent example of anti Semitism in my party that I feel I must do so. I've been in continuous membership of the Labour Party since 1960, 58 years. Uh, For almost, you work out how old I was when I started, uh, for almost all of that period, the issue of anti Semitism. within my party, simply did not arise. We're a party born of the idea of equality for all and proud of our consistent record of anti-racism and of opposing discrimination on the grounds of religion. Moreover, because people of the Jewish faith had, in the Holocaust, suffered a greater genocide than any peoples in human history, no one in my party ever sought to dance on the head of a pin and seek to suggest disgustingly that it was possible to distinguish racism from anti-Semitism. Until recently, that is, when in the last three years, some in the Labour Party have tolerated or condoned some completely unacceptable examples of anti-Semitism. Now, I've been to Israel and the occupied territories on many occasions, and of course I understand that to Israelis, Jerusalem is their capital. I'm not ...trying to tell you what is patently not the case, uh, uh, Erhard and, and Natasha. Of course, I understand that. But I think it's also important to understand that to Palestinians, Jerusalem is their capital too. And it's this conflict of perceptions which is very powerful... ...which lies at the heart of the international debate as to when and in what circumstances... ...it would be right to accord international recognition to Jerusalem as Israel's capital, and meanwhile, for international and diplomatic purposes, to sustain the current situation where Tel Aviv should be the site of diplomatic missions. This is what our own Prime Minister, not of my party, but I agree with her, said when President Trump announced his decision on the 8th of December last year. Mrs May said, and I quote, We disagree with the US decision to move its embassy to Jerusalem, And to recognize uh, Jerusalem as as the Israeli capital before a final status uh, agreement has been reached. We believe it is unhelpful in terms of prospects for peace in the region. The British Embassy to Israel is based in Tel Aviv, and we have no plans to move it. Our position, she went on, on the status of Israel is clear and longstanding. It should be determined in a negotiated settlement between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And Jerusalem should ultimately be the shared capital of the Israeli and Palestinian states. I just pause that that, to to say there that that's what we didn't hear with respect to them, either from Natasha or from Erhard, about sharing Jerusalem and not sharing the suburbs, Erhard. Uh, (laughs) I mean, you'll remember that... uh, Haim uh, Weizmann, uh, I mean, you won't remember personally any more than I do, but you remember the story that Haim Weizmann, uh, when he was trying to negotiating what became the Balfour Declaration, uh, was offered Uganda by the British government. I'm not making this up. He was offered Uganda uh, by the British government uh, as a site for uh, an Israeli state. Uh, and he then re- replied, well, would you like, to the Brits he was talking to, would you like Paris? Uh, as, as the capital of, of Great Britain. I mean, the answer the, the, these, these territories and, and these cities have enormous symbolic perform, uh, importance. Of course, they do for every member of the Jewish faith, and particularly what members of the Jewish faith have gone through, but they also have huge importance for Palestinians as well, whether they are Palestinians who are Christian, of whom there are a great many, or Palestinians who are Muslim as well. And Mrs. May went on to say, In line with relevant Security Council resolutions, we regard East Jerusalem as part of occupied Palestinian territories. And she added that she now urged the White House to bring forward detailed proposals for an Israeli Palestinian settlement. So, this issue about whether, not whether Israelis should recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, I understand, of course, all Israelis do recognize it, but it's whether the world should recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital, comes down to this. What approach is most likely to assist in securing a long-term resolution to this conflict, which has so bedeviled the region for 70 years? Now, there are maybe those in Israel and elsewhere who believe that no solution is possible, that the world and the region simply have to live with the facts on the ground. And that's what I took from uh, what Natasha had to say. Uh, However, like the British government, and almost all in the international community, I profoundly disagree. The condition in which many Palestinians have to live uh, is an affront to any concept we all share of human dignity. I was involved in the negotiations uh, led by President Bush and Tony Blair, which led to the 2002 roadmap. And I also greatly applaud the efforts made by Erhard Olmert uh, when he was Prime Minister. It was difficult then, and it's become more difficult. Any resolution will inevitably involve concessions by both sides. But, and one critical issue in those negotiations will have to be the status of Jerusalem. And essentially, what President Trump has sought to do is to take away a critical card in those negotiations, making it that much more difficult for a settlement to be reached. This has never been... No-one's no one's arguing with Israelis not to recognise Jerusalem as its capital, as I've said. So no, no one's taking away the right of Israel to recognize the capital. The question is, at what point should the world do so? And in my view, in order to achieve a long standing peace for Israelis and Palestinians, that should come at the time when there is a final settlement of the whole issue. Thank you very much indeed.
0: Finishing off our opening speeches from the floor there. Uh, now is the chance where I can give you the result for the pre vote on your way in. You should all have told us what your gut instinct was, and I can tell you now that before the debate, before you heard anyone here speak, twenty seven per cent of you were for the motion, forty six per cent of you were against, and twenty seven were undecided. Now, obviously, any of those numbers can change. So take heart this side and don't be on your laurels this side because we are here to see what moves. We're not just looking at the end numbers. We're looking at the direction of travel throughout the debate. Um, We're going to have plenty of time to take questions from you all, from the floor. But before we do, I just want to get a little bit of um, a debate going with our speakers here and pick up a little bit on some of the points you've made. Natasha, let's get to the bottom of the flat-earther stuff, shall we? Uh, When you talk about flat-earthing being the same, we think of that as parochial, as backwards, as blind. Are you really suggesting that people who pause before seeing... Jerusalem as the capital of Israel are flat... Are those people who can't are flat-earthers are blind. You don't understand that at all.
4: Indeed, Emily, and I think the matter can be boiled down further still. Um, Jack Straw, you asked, can Jerusalem be shared? I think the simple answer is to look at Damascus at the minute. Um, Jack Straw, well, you, you... Well, let's, let's get to the bottom of, of this. You, you're on record in, in 2005 um, with a withdrawal from Gaza praising the withdrawal, praising Abbas for uh, the stability he provided in the Strip, and applauding the courage of that move. Well, look at the bloody mess in Gaza at the moment. You were wrong then. With respect, you're wrong now. And I, for one, doubt the grip of reality of an individual who believes that, uh, that Jerusalem can simply be shared and not end up like the rest of the Middle East. I, I was actually somewhat disappointed um, that the first opposition speaker in particular um, did not listen, did not pay attention to the, to the opening. It is a great pity because I think on the legality point, it might have been possible to learn something. But I, I, I might note, I, I do note, I must say that I have to correct one thing. I do have to correct one thing. She said I referred to the 1947 uh, resolution. I didn't. Um,
0: with no, respect Natasha, to the I'm sorry, I don't want another speech. Let me just come no, in here. Of course. Uh,
1: I'm, uh, no, I'm
0: going to the... let, let Garda pick up on that. I uh, just many... want to be very clear. When you say that Jerusalem can't be shared, are you essentially saying there is no two-state solution? I didn't say that for for the Right, that's what I'm asking. So you believe in a two-state solution that that Jerusalem is not a part of?
4: What we must be very clear on is look at where the notion of a two-state solution has come from. The important thing, and the reason I didn't mention the 1947 resolution, uh, which I have here, is because the term Palestinian is never used in it. Now, why did the UN not use the term Palestinian, but rather refer to the local Arab population at the time, very simply, because it didn't exist.
5: So, if we're talking Got about it. a two-state solution, okay. we Got need on, to, I'm think to bring up the proper you in context. Uh, listen, we existed, whatever you want to call us. <laughs> and I'm here in front of you. Have a look at me. I exist. Whether you want to call me, uh, you want to call me Palestinian, or you want to call me something else, I exist. Now, in terms of, I must say, this business about Gaza and this uh, so-called evacuation of Gaza and how, 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 how bad it was, why is Gaza in this state? Do you ever ask yourself why it is that Gaza has been subjected to an inhuman siege where nothing, virtually nothing can get in why is that? Why does Israel maintain that the people of Gaza cannot have freedom of movement by land, by sea, by air? Where is it written that this is justified, and this is legal, and this is something that we can, we can do to other people?
0: I'm gonna bring you in here. You recognize that this is not an ideal state for Israel or the Palestinians.
6: Number one, Israel pulled out entirely from Gaza. And Gaza is controlled by a terrorist organization, and you deny it, and you ignore it. The killers of the worst kind, you know why? Not because they want to kill us. We know how to deal with it. They killed the the PLO, they killed the Palestinians in June of 2007. Hamas organization brutally, in the most aggressive and violent manner, killed hundreds of PLO activists in Gaza, killed them and threw this, them from okay. the top of the uh, yeah, buildings yeah. because they wanted to entirely yeah. get rid but of the government of Abu Mazen. That's but, but, number one. With your permission, just one thing. I am absolutely happy and surprised to hear that, in principle, Mr. Straw does accept my proposition and agree that Jerusalem should be recognized as the the capital of the state of Israel and and that he says two things. One, that it should be subject to an agreement, I propose the agreement of a two-state solution with an Israeli withdrawal on the basis of 67 lines. You hear me, Mr. Stroke? Sixty-seven lines. The Palestinians didn't respond. That's number one. Number two, I didn't uh, suggest that the suburbs of Jerusalem will be uh, the Palestinian capital. Every part that was an Arab part of Jerusalem should be part of the Palestinian capital in Jerusalem. The Jewish city should remain... The capital of the state of Israel, as it is now, what I'm you say is only one thing, which I must say, for a person that was in the top government positions for so many years, you surprised Briefly me. Briefly heard I'm going to bring just to you just the end on. of the sentence. What you say is that the two, the the the, the city of Jerusalem sh- shall be shared by two different countries. I don't know in the history of mankind that the citizens of one city were citizens of two different countries. That's what you propose. This is unrealistic. This is absolutely imaginary. And what I suggest is that the Arab part will be the capital of the Palestinians and that the Jewish part will be the capital of the state of Israel as it is. And that is the only possible solution, practical solution, that can be implemented between the two of us.
7: Uh, uh, I applaud, I do, uh, the, the fact that you stood up for the 67 borders. It's, it's a pity that some others uh, within uh, politics in Israel have not done so uh, and have sought continually to change the facts on the ground so those uh, borders become less and less relevant. The second thing is that, as you know, it's always been a part of a possibility of a settlement that West Jerusalem should be the capital of Israel and East Jerusalem should be the capital of uh, a Palestinian state. And, I mean, you you, you mock the idea of a shared capital, but that is, you're not only mocking me, which might be easy enough, uh, but you're uh, you're also, as it happens, uh, mocking our Prime Minister, who says that Jerusalem should be ultimately the shared capital of the Israeli and Palestinian states. Yes, it's very difficult to find international analogies for the current position between Israel and the Palestinians because none exist. There is nowhere else in the world uh, where Palestinians, or equivalent of Palestinians and uh, Israelis with all uh, the very difficult history, have to live cheek by jowl. So we do have to find, and we have to carry on trying to find... A solution to this near intractable problem, but I don't believe that it is completely intractable. And it's so important for the people of Israel as well as uh, that, that of, of the Palestinian area. Not least, as many, and my last point, as, as many thoughtful uh, uh, people within Israel point out, the, the nature of the demography on the ground. That not very many decades hence, Israel's going to face this really serious dilemma of whether it can be both a Jewish and a democratic state at the same time. Achieving a settlement is critical for Israel as it is for the Palestinians.
0: I'm going to open it to the floor
1: now. Yes, ma'am. My name's Ambrazine Shitrit. I'm um, from Campaign for Truth, And I would like to ask Ghana. can I I have your name fully?
0: Gana Kami. What do you mean? Because I've seen your many events. From the river
1: to the sea, Palestine will be free. Be free from what? Exactly. That means the eradication of the Jewish people from the
0: state of Israel. There is no other explanation for that. Thank you. Garda, we'll come to you in a second.
1: Hello. um, I'd like to ask uh, Natasha this question, please. Um, As the grandson of a a Palestinian refugee myself, um, Jerusalem is also a very important part of my own family's identity um, as a a descendant of, of Palestinians. So I'd like to just simply ask you, what should we do to Jerusalem? My grandfather was born in Jerusalem. Should we just simply cast away our over 1,000-years-old heritage and just put it back into the past? What should we do?
0: Okay. Thank you, sir. And you've got the third mic at the top there.
1: Hello, my name is uh, David. I'm a a lawyer. Uh, Two questions, one for Garda. Garda, do you recognise the right of Israel to exist? And a question for Jack Straw. Jack, do you think London should be shared as a capital with another non-sovereign entity?
0: Garda, this is starting with you. Uh, do you want to explain, do, do you remember saying that phrase, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free? Is that something that you've said? And it's would explain it? this is
5: a slogan that's used by Palestinian solidarity groups because what it's referring to is the fact that Palestinians living in the territory from the river to the sea are ruled by Israel, whether they are in the 67 territories or whether they are in 48 Israel. They're all ruled by Israel, and they are not free. That's what that means. They are not free, and they have every right to be free. So there's nobody talking about throwing Jews out or killing Jews or any of that. That is something I fear. I'm sorry, it's in your own mind. Now, f- there's,
0: No, no, it must be in your Abbas own Abbas mind.
5: The, the second, I think,
0: the... I'm going to give the second one too, yes. that I, to... Do you just pick up and saying that Mahmoud Abbas has used that phrase, meaning it would be a Jew-free state?
5: No. No, 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 no. Nobody, nobody. There is nobody I know who's talking about a Jew-free state amongst the Palestinians. Okay. We, many. Uh, l- let me tell you, we have a wonderful vision, which is that we
0: share the land.
5: We share the land between us and the Jewish
0: Israelis. That is the proper humane vision. Natasha is the one that's going to answer. The question of the, I'm going to call you Palestinian grandson because you didn't say your name. Um, what is the vision then for his relatives and your relatives and your generations now? What is that Jerusalem? How is it shared?
4: Okay, well, on the Arab population of Jerusalem, I've spoken to East Jerusalemites. They are still in limbo because of the constantly failed negotiations, but the ordinary East Jerusalemite in the street, the last thing that they want is to be ruled over by the corrupt Palestinian authority with the threat of a violent Hamas takeover at any moment the people whose rights that the op- opposition claimed to support these people that i spoke to moved from areas designated for the Palestinian authority in order to remain under israeli jurisdiction in order to remain as amongst the only free Arabs in the Middle East. And Israeli Arabs are the only free Arabs in the Middle East. They have full political, human rights, civic rights. They serve at every level of society as members of parliament, in the government. So you're the saying Supreme they prefer to true. be governed by Israel? Well, they, they, these... Not true. P- based with the alternative, um, and trust me, I go back to the earlier point, Gaza nowadays doesn't look in many respects that dissimilar from Damascus because they are also ruled by a despotic, authoritarian, um, uh, cor- corrupt goes without saying, but a, a very, um, well, a terrorizing uh, force in, in the name of Hamas. I'm, I'm going
0: to go to the audience now because I want to bring lots more hands in. Yes, there you go.
3: It saddens me to hear this because I grew up in Israel I graduated from university. Stand up then we can hear you better if you don't mind. I grew up in Israel. And I'm a daughter of refugees from Europe. There's almost nobody left alive. And I feel for the Palestinian cause, but they have to feel for us too. We need our state. I find it very sad with with Jack Straw that he talks about an occupied West Bank. And I'll come to the question why has nobody ever raised the issue? That the Jordanians invaded the West Bank, preventing thus the creation of a Palestinian state. And when they were given the chance not to invade Israel, yeah. King Hussein did invade Israel in 67. Okay. And after that, just... They did negotiate peace, and Israel sadly clung to those territories thank because nobody m- was taught peace. We've
0: got it. Understand. The responsibility with the Jordanians, I'm going to let Jack Straw answer that in a second. But first, let's get... Yes, thank you.
1: Um, I've got a two-part question for the young girl next to Mr. Omer. First of all, in your researches, did you happen to avail yourself... She's a barrister. <laughs> That's fine. She's certainly younger than I am. Um, Did you avail yourself of any of the archaeological record in which uh, the Israelites and the Philistines are both attested in the same series of Egyptian stela at the same time from 1850 and have remained um, living in that land ever since, although more Palestinians than Jews for much of that time? Uh, Did you know that? And secondly... Do you genuinely think that the situation as it exists now benefits either Jews or Palestinians, and might it not behoove us Jews to grow some humility given our long-standing relationship with the Palestinians and actually lower our entrenched walls? Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm being particularly brutal with the questions. I'm sorry, it's just I can see a lot of hands. So I don't want to disappoint. Um, let us pick up, first of all, then, with this question. I said for Jack Straw, if you don't mind picking up on that. Do the Jordanians have a responsibility here? Do they have a part to play?
7: Yes, I mean, look, if, if you go back over the history, a, a, a lot of people have got a responsibility here. And uh, the uh, Arab nations made, in my view, a major mistake in 1947 in not accepting... What the United Nations had agreed in terms of the establishment of the State of Israel. And they made an even bigger mistake in 1967 uh, when they d- decided to launch an all out attack on Israel, uh, and but for the IDF, would have succeeded. Uh, and many of the problems which we face now uh, arise from that. However, I say many of the problems we face now, the problems that are faced in particularly the occupied territories, are problems of Palestinians who were either very young or not born at that stage, and they should not have to take responsibility for the errors of uh, Arab leaders uh, 60, 50 years ago. Um, so errors have been made and misjudgments have been made and just wrong policies on both sides. My concern, and actually it's shared with Albert, uh if only, well, if we would admit it, is how you best get to a final settlement and what role the status of Jerusalem should play in that final settlement. That's the issue.
0: Um, just to pause for a second, if you see the boxes coming round, you are, we are sort of concurrently um, questioning and talking and voting. You should know by now that if you are for, you put the four in the box against, you put the against the box. If you're still undecided, or should I say newly undecided perhaps, just put the whole card in the box without tearing it up And uh, we will uh, get to that end vote uh, right at the end. Um, Let me pick up on the question that you made, uh, and I think it was to Natasha. Should the Jews, and I think you said, should we Jews show a bit of humility in this? Does the first offer, the first step in this have to come from the Jewish people?
4: I mean, I'll come to that just before. The reference to the Philistines is an attempt to rewrite history that I've not come across before. But I've already explained the origins of Palestinian nationalism. What's important to note, of course, is that the Palestinians in the West Bank and those in the Gaza Strip are very different. They're different in dialect, in culture, in appearance. And that's because they come from different places. The most common name in the Gaza Strip amongst Palestinian Arabs, is al It means the Egyptian, which is where many of them originally come from. So let us bear in mind the reality of the people that now identify themselves as Palestinians. I have no truck with that, Garda. Um, I wish and I hope and I yearn for peace. The issue with... Res- Wait, what do you mean was, you have yes, no truck with it? If God no, calls I, herself
0: a Palestinian... No, 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 and
4: I have no truck with that now I at, at all. What I, what I, what I must insist no. against is this notion uh, that this identity existed no, no, 70 years ago, because if it did, the UN would have referenced it. Just, yeah. just to answer...
0: Well, no, to answer your question, Emily... No, no let's uh, deal with that one right now. No. OK, well, the Palestinian no, 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 people.
7: Natasha, I really would advise you uh, not to start... Challenging the geographical origins of particular Palestinians <laughs> for uh, the J- Jewish peoples (plural), who have come from all sorts of places all over the world, that's an incredibly dangerous argument for you to deploy.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Very briefly.
4: I've also just outlined what the position is today, but importantly, the question here is whether we learn from history. And I think that goes to the answer to your point. Because Israelis have seen over the last 70 years that every time they make concessions, the result is blood on the streets. Only a crazy person can be expected to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different outcome. Okay, I'm going to
0: let Garda come in on that one.
5: I don't know what these concessions are that you're talking about. (laughs) I haven't come across any of them. Where
4: was Arafat before he was brought really, back
5: But really, you know, you must, uh, again, sorry, I, I, I don't mean to scold you, but you, you really do need to be clear that the people of Gaza and the people of the West Bank are Palestinians. They're the same people. They're separated by an Israeli regime of... A draconian regime which prevents the people of gaza from going to visit their relatives in the west bank they are the same people let's say get that quite straight and al-masri for your information is a well-known Nablus family so okay.
6: you really
1: you
0: uh, need to know, have you need let to you have know the last word on, um,
6: on this panel uh, number one uh, talking about returning back to the 67 lines, when was Gaza united with the West Bank? Never. Now, this is not an incident. This is not a mistake that Ms. Kami say, uh, made. She doesn't want to recognize the separate existence of the state of Israel as a sovereign state. Therefore, she argues about this Gaza and the West Bank. They never were united. They always were separated. Before 67, they were separated. That's number one. They were separated because the Arabs and the Arab countries were against the 47 partition resolution. They were against it. Not we. We voted for it. They were against it. That's number one. Number two, we can go into a debate about the history and about the geographical we can't. limits. And, right now? And this is, we this can't. is something that all those who are not prepared to look to the future are finding so, uh, so delightful to be indulged in okay i don't want I- to argue about the history i am talking about the present situation yes i am in favor of two states yes. an independent yes. palestinian state in borders yes. based not identical based literally to the last centimetre yes. on yes. 67th, right. and Jerusalem yes. is the capital of the state of Israel, yes. and the Arab Jerusalem is the capital of the Palestinian just, state. Just Those okay. who support we it... We are running out, out of time. Yes I heard I'm going to for I'm this you, for this proposition. A,
5: small,
0: a small point. Okay, a small Very point. quickly. A
5: small point to uh, Mr Olmert. Before 1948, before there was an Israel... Gaza and the West Bank were part of the same country and they are the same people.
6: Which country? It is
5: Israel. Which country?
6: What was the name of that country before 1948?
2: Palestine. What was
6: the name of that country? Palestine.
0: Palestine. Palestine. We are running out of time. Uh, You've heard the debate. You've heard the speeches. You've heard the questions from the floor. And I'm going to remind you now of the figures... At the start of the evening, as you came in, 27% of you were for the motion. 27% of you believed the world should recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. 46% of you were against that motion. And 27% of you were undecided. At the end of the evening, in favor of the motion, 37%. Against the motion, 61%. (laughs) Undecided has shrunk down to just 2%. So we've got rid of all those people who couldn't make up their mind. They have now firmly made up their mind. It is a swing vote of 3%. And it just remains for me to thank all of you for coming and our excellent, phenomenal speakers for showing so much of their thoughts this evening. Thank you.
2: Thanks for listening to today's episode. Just a reminder, you can support Intelligence Squared and get even closer to the world's most brilliant minds by signing up for Intelligence Squared Premium. For more information, go to iq2premium.supercast.com or see the link in the description. Thank you for your support.